Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Let's do this thing. We have hit record. My guest today, he is back because why? He is a marketing leader of leaders. What does that mean? We'll have to get to that. But you know what? He was so great at throwing down the gauntlet last time, just calling out a bunch of BS out there in the world that we're like, man, we got this guy back. That he's just really cool. And he's got a great first name. So what else can I tell you about him? Um, marketing coach, uh, coach <laughs> and consultant, number one fractional CMO, speaker, mentor, podcast host of Your Perfect Marketing Strategy, founder of CMOX, Casey Slaughter. Stan, welcome back to the show. What up, Casey? Thanks, man. Man, I love your name. It's a great name. It's a strong name, Casey. Yeah, it's friendly. Does it mean like brave or something in like ancient text? I think it actually means like fertile, brave, strong. There's a lot of like meanings. all those things, right? <laughs> we'll just bro out on the on the first name here. Well, you know, I wanted to have you back because first of all, I enjoyed the hell out of our conversation last time, but it was also eye opening, all about the different things that I didn't know, but talking about all the different myths, but I wanted to have you back here to smash something that I know that is really on both of our minds. So let me pass you this thing again. Your old friend, you remember, remember her? Here it is. Boom. Is it her? Boom. I don't even know. Thor's hammer. Thor hammer. Grab that thing. You got it? No, nope, you got to actually grab it. There you go. Oh, look at that. Backhanded in the, in your brand new camera focused on that, that fist. So take that hammer, smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception, set the record straight once and for all. Yeah, I got a great myth I want to smash, which is that you shouldn't wait 17 years to ascend in your career as a marketer to become the chief marketing officer of an organization. Now, on average, it takes 17 years for a marketer to become CMO. And I just want to tell you, like, that is unnecessary today. The role of the CMO is the shortest lived executive role, right? Meaning that uh, just like on a football team, when the football team doesn't do well, they cycle out the coach. In business, if yeah. the company doesn't grow, they cycle out the CMO. Right. So to spend 17 years in order to get this position that is so short-lived, I think is uh, a bit foolish. So I want to talk today a bit about what to do instead of going that route. Okay. That's a long time, 17 years. That's a it's longer than I've been in marketing. And I've I been the CMO of a couple companies as a result because of the shortcut. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. So don't, don't put in, put in the 17 years of the grind only to find yourself, you know, it's like you invested in a house that you saved your whole career, your right. life up for it. It's built on like Key West sand and it just like slides into the ocean every few, few months. Like it, it, you got to build it on something firm. So what, what, what's the better way of doing it? So, so also admit that I want to smash your before I get into what the solution is, is that marketing consulting is a stable income stream. And it's not. Mm. And these people like tout, oh, you can go be a marketing consultant. But if anyone listening to this podcast is a marketing consultant, you know just how hard it is. And you know how fast that revolving door is. You have a client that you service for an amount of time and then they're out. Yeah. And then that relationship is done because you did a good job. It was satisfactory but you're working on short-lived problems. Sure, they could be big problems, they could pay well, 
But man, it is tough to be in the service and sales game. And what I mean by that is you're always servicing because you got to get paid. And then you're always selling because you're going to need to get paid once you finish servicing the client that you're on. So not only does a marketing consultant have to be great at marketing and great at solving specific marketing problems, they also have to be really good at prospecting and sales and proposals and cash collecting and the legal terms and like all that crap, which is really difficult. It's like two separate jobs, right? You got to, that was always bugging me when I was doing it because it's like you, you have to sell it and then you like, hooray, we sold it. Like, oh no, now I got to go deliver this. You're like, gotta go do that and keep selling. You not just wearing multiple hats. You are like multiple people at that point. Absolutely. And then yeah. you've got to like part your days out. Yeah. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I do client stuff. Thursday, Friday, I do sales stuff. And like, it just gets to be exhausting. There's right. the flexibility that you're sold as a marketing consultant. You know, at least that I feel like I was sold maybe back in like the Dan Kennedy days was like, it's a lot of money per hour. And it's like, you're right. It is when you're flexing, when you're doing the work, but what about all the prep? <laughs> And when you factor all that in and that you have no continuity, you know, it's really hard to be a marketing consultant and keep a client for more than six months. Right. You know, you can, you can keep them for maybe 12 months, but at some point you're going to get out, you know, that, that contract's going to be over. Yeah. And most marketing consultants that I've met with have um, one or two clients that they love um, and then a revolving door with everybody else. Right. And they're right. barely making their, their, you know, covering their nut with that marketing consulting client. Um, and they're also sitting on a bar stool with one leg, you know, waiting to lose that leg, waiting for COVID to come through, waiting for that company to get acquired and, and the PE firm to liquidate the current list of vendors. Vendors. Yeah. That, um, the same thing, right? The CMO gets swapped out. Every choice they make is like analyzed. Oh, do we need this agency? No, I've got my favorite. I'm bringing that in. And then you're just totally. out even if you did a great job. So it's not even, yeah, you're in the same rocky or sandy shore as the CMO is at that point. Yeah. And it, it's not like you can fault these executives for cycling out the marketing consultant or, no. or right? Bring in because, who they trust. Yeah. Yeah. They want to bring in who they trust. And also sometimes it's helpful to get fresh eyes. Unless you know, it's Cheshire sure. Impact, in which case you just leave it. You just leave it in right. there. Stay forever. Stay forever. Yeah. If you want the impact. Right. If you want the impact, you've got to leave Cheshire Impact alone. Just leave them in there. <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right. So I'm telling people that are listening, don't become CMO, which is the highest ascension of the marketing role. Like as a marketer, you start off as like a marketing tech who like just goes and fetches coffee for everybody. And then you like climb up to doing like client work kind of in the shadows. And then you get to be on the calls. Then maybe you lead the calls and then maybe you lead strategy. And then maybe you're leading the department as a marketing manager or coordinator or director. Yeah. And then SVP of marketing and then CMO. Like this is the ascension. And the CMO is the strategic leader. And I'm telling you, don't do that. And also don't become a marketing consultant where you can be, you know, potentially quote unquote high paid. And we just kind of discussed, it is high paid, but it's also like a lot of unpaid work is hidden in there as well. Right. So The sales is completely unpaid, right? Like when you're selling, you're completely unpaid until you're doing your hourly. Like you don't, you don't get to charge hourly while you're selling. Right. So that's, that's free work. Your billing is free work. You're not, you're not on hourly there either. It's only the time. When you're, that's why they say like, even like psychologists are, you know, oh, go visit the person. Oh, wow. He's a hundred and something an hour. But it's like, yeah, but when he's not to your point with a client or doing billable work, you're, you're getting zero, you know? Yeah. 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 <clears throat> what so, do we do, man? This sounds bleak. It sounds like you yeah, shattered it, all my dreams. <laughs> um, 
you know, I think of someone like Dan Kennedy, you know, classic in marketing, uh, direct response marketing. And um, Dan's really long on marketing consulting. And, you know, I think that there are some ways to make it work. But honestly, it's like for the 1%. The 1% who's with those Agora-like marketing companies that you can just lock in for a long term. Yeah. You know, Dan Kennedy must have been, maybe he still is on payroll from um, proactive acne medicine. Really? You know? Oh, yeah. He, he and Guthy Ranker launched that brand. He was gotcha. the guy behind it. Okay. So, I mean, that might be a marketing gig that he can hold forever, but he's got like one of those. You know? Mm-hmm. I know a very famous copywriter who makes 80% of his income from one client. Now it's a huge income, but also that client has threatened to cancel the contract and they've had to bring in negotiators, like literal negotiate, like former FBI terrorist negotiators to negotiate this contract to come back online. I'm not kidding. And like, so those people do exist. Like that lifestyle does exist. Hey, I can go be this marketing consultant and make super big money, right. but it's that one-legged stool. And really you're just employed by the client without a long-term contract. Right. It's, it, it still sounds shaky. It's kind of like the people that are like renting a Maserati for an Instagram shot, you know, or renting a seat in a right. private jet. You don't take off anywhere. You just get to sit there and get some Instagram photos like you're, like oh look at look at me I'm you know the, when you when I hear one percent of them are successful it's like okay that's not even cool that sounds like a pyramid scheme at that point you know totally that's not right and those are the people that are selling education on how to become marketing consultants yeah on how, yeah selling education on how to be like this and they're just faking their photos left and right yeah yeah and I do think that there is some validity to some of these marketers who are doing it big but sure. there just isn't room for everyone at the top right but. Also, you don't want to live at the bottom. So like, what is this middle thing that I keep teasing to, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. this is something that I discovered years ago. And <clears throat> my arc was that I was working for a company as the CMO. And I slid in kind of through the back door. It was a smaller company, um, just like a, like a $2 million a year company. And um, they got to be friends. And, you know, it, it wasn't like a formal, like hiring on Indeed and looking for the best person. It was just mm-hmm. like, I was the right person at the right time. I met him at yeah. a mastermind. So I was the CMO. Um, and in working with them, I came up with all these marketing ideas and all the strategy. And I knew my strategy was right. You, you know what that's like, Casey, like when you're working yeah. with a client and you're like, I know exactly what I'm saying is right. Yes. Now, executing it might be hard, but I know I'm right. Yes. Right. So I laid out that whole strategy and then it came time for execution and I'm the CMO. That's, that's my title. Right. right? And no one is there to do the execution. Oh. Uh-oh. I have some developers, I have some designers, I have some content writers, but I don't have like a marketing technician who's going to be okay. loading the emails for me. I don't have someone who's going to take the start of the campaign that I create and finish it, right? So I had to do everything. So really I was a marketing agency of one. Right. And I knew I had no leverage there. And I'd like, I had this conviction. I just remember like laying in bed and just like having this conviction. What I told them on the call was the right thing to do. But God damn it, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Right? right. And my value is not in doing everything. Right. I know that to be true. You know, I, I'm not a great musician. I keep instruments, right? I've got like a mountain dulcimer and a guitar and a banjo up here. Um, I love playing music, but I'm not great at it. I would, I leave that to the experts. Sure. But you're also not you know charging I mean? hundreds of dollars an hour for it either. So it's all good. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, so, 
So knowing that my strength was in strategy, I needed to solve the problem and get other people to do the work. So I propositioned the company and I said, hey, let's cut me down on time. Let me drop my time down. I'm going to scale back dramatically. I'm going to go from 40 hours a week to 10 hours a week. And we're going to take that cash that you'll save. Mm -hmm. And we're going to hire technicians to do the work. And we're going to hire the best. And then we got the work done. They agreed to it and we got the work done. And the outcome was enormous. Like I got more done than I could ever have gotten done myself. And my stress was near zero. Now my income dropped, but it didn't drop 75%. You know, it dropped like 50%. Sure. So then I just picked up another client. Right. And now I'm working 20 hours a week, making the same amount of money that I was making at 40 hours a week with a whole lot less stress, with a way better outcome for the client. Right. Because they, they can afford to pay for the person to execute on your mastermind plan. Yeah. And you, so you're, I look 10, like a rock you're doing 10 for each, 10 hours a week for each one, working yeah. with the person, and then they're executing it. Sounds right. Yeah. And it, and it worked. And it put me in a place of confidence. And it put me in a place of like focusing on what mattered. It doesn't matter. You know, I wanted to be at the pay grade. I wanted to... Uh, act at the pay grade that I wanted to get paid, right? right. So that pay grade is not um, formatting an email to get sent out. It's a very right. important thing to right, do, right. but we can go pay someone to yeah, format you, an email. You definitely don't want to be paying, because it's also like thinking about just how much you're paying per hour for each person in your own time, right? Your, your time is worth, you know, especially on the strategy, like that's, that's a really expensive thought process. They need to be paying you that but it's a waste to then have you do something else you know absolutely yeah i worked for an agency years ago and we were at a fixed hourly rate and it kind of would grind me when i would do something so low value at that agency yeah but still charge that high hourly rate right and the thought was like maybe i covered that because i did some super high value stuff that was worth more than the hourly rate so it kind of came out in the wash washed it out like a yeah and like, I think that an agency model can work occasionally, but generally speaking, I don't love it. Mm -hmm. And I like this idea um, that I kind of like built and kind of discovered. Um, and that role became known as the fractional chief marketing officer. So that's, that's what I did. I became a fractional CMO. I didn't work full time for a company as the CMO. And I didn't work as a consultant. And now let's talk about what the difference is between a fractional CMO and a consultant. A fractional CMO has the benefit of long-term contracts like a CMO. Like what? Like how long? I mean, my contracts are never ending. They have outs on them. They have like <laughs> natural outs, but they're not expiring. Naturally. What, kind of, what kind of outs? Like, give you... so it's like non-performance. Oh. Yeah. Like so like every quarter we say that we're going to deliver these things and if we don't then we can break the contract or you know you can break the contract and we do intervals where you can break the contract got it but they naturally um continue and as a result contracts last over a year for us on average sure on average they last over a year right. and, and like that's not the outlier so that right there leads for a lot more stability in the business stability yeah. and income um and also like reduces the marketing that you do and think you have a full year to replace a client if they only last a year. So you can mm -hmm. choose the best client to work with. Also, little positioning trick, you're more desirable if you can't take on business today, right? 
If you're like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm full. You look a lot more attractive than someone that says, actually, uh, I could, I could use the money. Yeah. Let's get started. Can we today. start tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you wire it to me right now? I can take the I'll cash take out. cash <laughs> in a briefcase. <laughs> so these longer term contracts are what makes the fractional CMO better than a marketing consultant. Mm. But a marketing consultant has this beautiful um, like lifestyle where they can kind of do whatever. They're not held to a specific office. Mm-hmm. They don't have to show up in a suit and tie every day. None of that. You know, a marketing consultant is, it's kind of a renegade on the marketing side, which is really attractive. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to do good work and not be held to the standard of like, I don't know. I feel like a well-vacuumed car, like showing up to like an office building to like go clock in, you know, that's not what I want to do. That's why I wanted to be a marketing consultant. So the CMO has a lot more um, like structure to it uh, that I don't want. The structure I do want is long-term contracts and getting paid at the first of the month before I start work. Right. What I don't want is to have to show up to the office and, you know, Deal with the stuff that a full-time CMO does. Politics. Right. Meetings right. you don't need to be at. Totally. Right? right? Yeah, like an all-hands team meeting. I mean, you might do that as a fractional CMO, but like it's probably not worth your time. And if you position that back to the client and say, this is what you pay me an hour. Do you really want me to spend it on this? You know, you can probably get out of that stuff and then focus <laughs> on what actually matters in the business. which drives them a result, which makes them happier, which reduces your stress. Like it's kind of a win-win all the way around. Right. So, so the consultant doesn't have to do those meetings. The fractional CMO may, may not, but could probably not have to, but a CMO, CMO, you're in all the senior team meetings and you have to be there. So, so on either end was like, there was a lot of freedom on one side, none on the other, but there's like a happy middle. Yeah. And this happy middle of being a fractional CMO gives you the authority without giving you the, um, like the unnecessary responsibility. Like you want to be responsible for and able to influence things that are important in marketing. You just don't want the other noise in an organization and you can get out of that noise by being a fractional CMO. Yeah. I see that. Like my, my company has a fractional CFO. Yeah. Perfect. And, and, you know, we'll send him swag sometimes, but like he doesn't need to be at all the different things. And, and yeah, it saves him time, saves us time, right? Not having to pay him totally. with that particular part, but he's, he, he does the job of like a whole market uh, finance department. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think fractional CFO is the leader. I mean, if you do a Google search right now, or look at Google trends, fractional CFO has been leading for yeah. the longest time. That's because it makes sense. Like, as a business owner, you, unless you have like a super complex billing cycle and, you know, you're raising funding and yeah. doing a large stuff, company that can afford a really expensive person. Yeah. yeah. You probably don't even need it a lot of right. times. And, and I'm not an expert on finance, so I probably shouldn't say that, but um, you know, that's my thought. So I see the fractional CMO as the kind of rising um, trend. I'll say it since I started the business three years ago, doing this work, um, like hanging my hat, doing this work, I was doing it previously, but like starting up the business CMOX.co and then offering fractional CMO services and now training people on how to become fractional CMOs. uh, We're seeing a dramatic rise, a dramatic rise in um, search queries and in people that are just knowledgeable about what a fractional CMO is and does. It seems like the the perfect combination. Um, 
and you know, everything that works about the CFO, I mean, we've got, it's like the senior level person and we've got someone on our team with, who's amazing doing the collections and billing and QuickBooks and all that. You don't need CFO doing that and you don't, and then, but you need that person so that it just works. It just works having the, it's totally. a nice balance of strategy and tactics, strategy and execution gets shit yeah. done. The right shit. What are the other things I love about a fractional CMO title is if a marketer who's got a couple years of experience becomes a fractional CMO and they decide, you know what, this isn't, this isn't it for me. I really want like the, the comfort of just a single client and I want to be fully employed. Yeah. They go back to that route. Nothing wrong with it. It's not my style. I want more freedom and flexibility than that. But if, if they want that, um, I don't know, there's like a comfort that comes from having just like one client. There is. Yep. But you also get the team yeah. feel, all, all the feels too, if it's a good culture, you know? Yeah, right. And I still think you can build that culture with the different teams, but it does take a lot of um, like emotional labor. True, yeah. Depending on management. how big those teams are. Yeah. A lot of management, yeah. Um, and then also you're the CMO, so you got to be there in case someone's struggling. Right. Someone's burning out, you got to be the person that supports them. Right. So maybe that, that's good for you. For me, that fits into like who I am as a person and, and I really enjoy that work. Um, but let's say you want to go back someone who wants to go back in, they can, you're saying if they go the same, they absolutely can. And when they do go back in, they go back in with an elevated experience. That's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like you just went on a teach for America tour, Mm. you know, it's like you came back with a different insight on the world. You now understand strategy in a different way. You just left for your sabbatical for a year or two years or six months or whatever to understand how to run strategy. And then you can go back and earn your way into that CMO role much faster. You're much yeah. more qualified. You might come back as a director, you know? Absolutely. Or, or leading a marketing team at a small company. You know, what, whether they call you a director or whatnot, but you've got, you know, some direct reports and you're reporting to the CEO, you're more experienced. You can handle those kind of conversations now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I learned from techs years ago, some, some like developers that I was working with. Yeah. I said the best way to increase their rates is to just work at a company for like six to 12 months and then hop to the next one. And Mm. as you hop to the next one, you always get a pay increase. And like, that makes sense. This is that kind of opportunity for marketers, you know, taking something that's kind of commoditized, like, oh, I'm a paid ad marketer. And now getting the strategy component, strategy and management component, and you go and rock it with a company, then you can go take those learnings somewhere else. And you're miles above like a tenured CMO who's just like, you know, gray and dusty. And the only way they solve problems is by hiring a marketing agency to solve the problem. They're just like a conduit for hiring a marketing agency. They're a glorified marketing HR role, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Shots fired here. Yeah. Right. But like that exists. There's these old dudes that like spend big money and they don't know what they're getting from it. And they're totally fine getting smoke blown up their ass about like the what ifs and possibilities. And then the actual deliverables, they don't measure. They don't have tight KPIs and scorecards that they review. You know, they're looking for soft things like, like we want to raise awareness, but they're not getting an impression rate that leads to a sign up rate that they know is tangible, is actually increasing, you know, and they just know, Hey, if I spend my, five million dollar budget by billion dollar budget stuff will happen something will work something will happen i get smart enough people around something will work at least one million will stick (laughs) right right Right. 
Yeah, so I think that the, the role of the fractional CMO is also really, really relevant today yeah. because of COVID. Sure. I mean, we're seeing major marketing agencies just do mass layoffs. Like some of the major agencies laid off 30% of their marketing talent. Jeez. Right, they furloughed them and then they just gave them the boot. So now that these marketers are like just kind of <clears throat> flailing, like looking for work, like everybody else is looking for work. Like in August, right? Second week of August, New York Times reported that 30% of small businesses in New York City are closed forever. Wow. 30%, man. So there's more competition than ever before. Yeah. So if you're just like a marketer, like, and I say that like, because you're not differentiated, right? It's like a quote unquote, you're a marketer. Like, what do you do? I don't know. I do marketing stuff. Can you do email stuff? Yeah. Can you do ad stuff? Sure. Can you do SEO? Sure. Like if you're that person, you're not differentiated and you're just going to be um, like looked over yeah. because I can go get someone more senior than you for the same rate because that person is struggling today to find right. work. So you go compete in the same market with the same people you've always competed in for the same jobs that don't exist anymore. Or you invest in yourself and you invest in ascending to the highest level of the marketing role, which is the fractional CMO or it's the CMO. And then you say, I want the freedom and flexibility. So I'm going to become a fractional CMO. And again, a fractional CMO, like companies want a CMO. Like this feels good to them. If they have uh, any yeah. funding, their funding wants to know that they have a really strong bench. They want to know that, yeah, we've got, they don't want to be like, yeah, we've got a bookkeeper offshore. It's like, no, like we've got a killer <laughs> CFO. Yeah. I mean, for us three hours a month, but we've got a killer CFO. Yeah. Like check that right. box. Yep. Right. We've got a killer CMO. They only work for us 10 hours a week, but like, that's all we need. Cool. Check that box. Instead of saying, all right, we just put all of our money into a CFO and CMO. And now we have no cash to spend on the marketing campaigns and yeah. we can't improve the product. And they can't do anything with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the role of the fractional CMO is rising and will only get bigger. I think the pressure for organizations is to reduce cost because maybe they took a hit or maybe they're just getting into marketing and just think how difficult it would be. Just like put on the hat real quick that you own a business and you're doing $3 million a year and you have an 18% profit margin. Okay. Like that's not Sounds great. All right. Yeah. Right. They could say like, Hey, that's not a bad business. Okay. Are you going to go spend 170, $250,000 a year on a CMO going from no CMO to that? I'm just going right. to suck up a lot of your profitability. That's, near, that's like a third of your profitability. 80% is high, but yeah, like, yeah, you're, you're just going to, you know, it's an investment. You're only going to invest that money in things that are going to grow. They're going to return something. You don't, not just yeah. spending it to spend it. Yeah. So with this like kind of hesitation to go from zero to full bore on marketing support, they want a step stool. So the traditional step stool is a marketing agency and marketing agencies can be problematic when you're working with a marketing agency that has a lot of different clients. They do a lot of different work and they're not specialized in one front. It's possible that marketing agency doesn't give the client the focus they need. And you I can tell that. you what, if, if the very first thing, thing they recommend is rebranding your website, then you should run away in terror. Right. <laughs> Rebrand. <laughs> yeah. How about we make money with what we got first? Right. And then we take the profits of that and we have right. a pizza party and then we think about rebranding. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think the role of this fractional CMO is I'm really excited about it. Um, we're seeing just like a lot of growth in it. A uh, lot of interest, a lot of sales as a result, a lot of transformative services that are being provided. But what does a fractional CMO do? Right. And I think the best way to answer that question is, you know, what does a CMO do? And a CMO sets the strategy. I think of it like if we're on a sailboat, because I'm kind of basic, you know, it's like, okay, who's on the top of the mast looking out and telling us where to go? That's the CEO. They're saying, go that way. I see land. Yeah. Right. And then you've got the person on the boat who's like telling everyone what to do. That's the CMO, right? Like that's the CMO saying like, okay, guys, we got to go over there to go over there. We got to go around this thing. And then we got to go down this thing. And oh, look, like there's a sandbar. We got to go around, whatever. The CMO is that person who is responsive to the CEO, but they have to be able to shout back up and be like, I hear what you're saying, but we can't do that. You know, we've got to <laughs> yeah. go this way instead. Like, I know you want to go that far, but let's go stop here first. Yeah. There's a port right over here. We can get some supplies. Yeah, Go get some rum, right? We're, yeah. we're low on rum. Rum. We're low on rum. <laughs> yeah. So the, the CMO has to be able to take um, generalized direction from the CEO and then like distill it into outcomes and then also push back on those outcomes if they're possible or not. We're working with a company right now and they want to drive a bunch of signups to their SaaS program. And they've identified it's a low cost SaaS program. Cool. Um, just like a couple bucks a month. And they want wow. to drive a bunch of uh, new signups. And they say that the lifetime value or what they're willing to afford to acquire a new customer is X dollars. Right. It's low. It's less than 50 bucks. Well, it's kind of hard to get that customer. And they want a huge volume. So what mm. we say is, okay, we hear what you say. You want this volume at this rate. Okay, cool. So that gives us some you know, confinements to figure out what marketing strategy we should deploy to get that to happen. But I'm not confident we can deliver that. Right. We're going to work really hard, but I don't know if it's possible. So right now, I'm going to say for the next three months, that is the goal. And then in three months, I'll have data and I'll tell you if that goal is possible or not. That's what the CMO does, right? They own the outcome from the executive and then they push back on the executive when it makes sense and say, this isn't possible. This is what is possible. Here's what we can do. Here's some crazy ideas that we can try, but I don't really think that they're, you know, a great move. And what I really want to do is these two things, like, is this good with you? Can I deliver yeah. these things to you? And the CEO might be like, wow, that's a bummer, but at least now I'm rooted in reality. And I know what's possible instead of like, you know, some pie in the sky vision. Right. Like that. Needs that feedback. Yeah, they do. Cause a CEO, a CEO isn't a marketing expert. Right. right? I mean, potentially. I, I, I guess it came from the marketing field. He or yeah, she. Right. Yeah. Right? We're working with someone who's uh, like a wall street guy. He's okay. A numbers guy. So he wants to see the numbers and he's got some ideas of what's possible. And we have to push back on capacity. It's like, the team can only deliver X or we have to get more team members. So we can only reach this percentage of your goals. Yeah. Like increase the budget for us and we'll make your dreams come true or reduce your aspirations. It's like right. one or the other. Right. That's what the CMO does. They identify the right things to do and they get the right people on board to do them. So a fractional CMO does the same exact thing, but they just don't do the bullshit. Right. You know, I feel like a CMO could spend their hours 10 hours a week doing high level strategy, 20 hours a week in support. And then maybe the last 10 hours a week and like shaking hands, meeting people in a non COVID world. Um, you know, 
like the CMO might host webinars, the CMO might, you know, mop the floors, whatever, they're going to stay busy. But their most valuable time is probably in that 10 hours of strategy. Right. That's what the fractional CMO does. So I didn't want to show up to these calls as a fractional CMO and not know what to do. So right. I spent a lot of time working out a process that I call the functional marketing framework. And it's this approach to solve the business's problems. And it's kind of like a ground up approach. It's um, uh, like the book Traction. Yeah. The entrepreneur operating system, entrepreneurial operating system, Gino Wickman. Yeah. <clears throat> Gino. It's like that kind of approach, but only to marketing. So what are your past marketing campaigns? Who's on your team? What are the goals for the business? What's the vision? You do this huge dump early on mm -hmm. when you start working with the client mm -hmm. and then you come up with your strategy. And we call that a functional marketing systems map. It's the systems map. It's the whole marketing system. Right. And then you say, who are the vendors that we need? Who are the team members that we need? What are the campaigns that we're doing? What are we doing in the next 60 days for the, you know, the finish of this, this 90 day sprint? And you then get that work done. You hire the right people and get the work done. And through doing that, um, my team and I, we've developed SOPs. Like, how do you run a successful webinar? Well, we have an SOP for that. And it has everything that you would need. And it's generalized enough to fit into any organization, but awfully specific too. You know, how do you, let's say you want to hire someone, um, we call them a marketing technician, kind of a lower level marketer who's going to be doing a lot of the execution. Right. Entry level, right? You bring them in at like 40,000 a year. Uh, we've got a hiring doc for it. We've got interview questions. We've got tests that we Dude, give that them. That sounds fantastic. Right? It's like those kind of things that like shortcut your approach to being able to bring in the right talent. And then you've got your bench. What does your marketing meeting look like? How do you focus on KPIs? What are your KPIs? What are KPI dashboards that you should be looking at? We've got templates of those that we've developed for clients that we've now generalized and then provide to our, our team. So yeah. it's those ideas that allow the fractional CMO to have scale. And then you can take on a couple clients or you can take on two clients and make the same amount that you would make with one mm -hmm. full-time. So you're working 20 hours a week with a little bit of sales. I'm not going to lie, right? Maybe you're spending two hours a week on sales. So you went from 40 hours a week to now to 22 hours a week, making the sure. same amount of money, more impact, having more fun. And I don't know what you do in your spare time, but I feel like I could fill up weeks worth of fun activities. It isn't just work. Sure. I would be hiking a lot. Maybe go to Mount Kilimanjaro. Yes. Quarterly. Sorry to hear that your trip got canceled. I know. I know. I had to postpone it. I had to, uh, I just put it into my little app though. Next year, August 1st or some date like that. It's just so my, my thing would start a little countdown. It's like 47 weeks away. Nice. I got to get training on it. Nice. My wife and I had a plan for uh, Bermuda for our baby moon and couldn't do it. Couldn't Pretty do bummed. It. So you won't be able to do it for we'll a bit. He's like a year old. Kid will be in high school by the time you get to travel again. Yeah, we'll even be in high school. <laughs> He'll be homeschooled in high school. Homeschooled. Yeah. So people don't know, congratulations. You had your first baby. Yeah. Six weeks, three days. Six ago. weeks ago. Yeah. So you're still in that kind of like primordial soup of like not sleeping and eating and getting in, up in weird times and everything. It, it is a primordial soup. Yeah. Yeah. It's and you got this project. A so how, how, many, how many clients are you the, C, the fractional CMO for right now? So we're working with just a handful. You know, we've got three right now. So, um, but that means you're the, you're the guy for three? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That makes but sense. There's different levels that we service at. So there's that 10 hour a week. But here's the thing with becoming a fractional CMO. You can't just 
service them at that level forever. You need to bake into your approach a reduction in time because you're going to solve a problem and create systems and have other people run them. And then the company just doesn't need you, <clears throat> but they also shouldn't lose you. Right. Right. They'll lose the protection of having you. So we've got uh, kind of a drop down. Uh, oh, and then we've got more clients, you know, at that level. So it doesn't go up. It actually goes down. once you put these systems in place, you know, we've got uh, a number of clients at that other level, um, mm -hmm. which allows for us to have uh, more stability. And I think this is important as a fractional CMO. You yeah. don't want to just have um, a few very high priced clients. Because if you do and you lose one, you lose half or a third or all of your mm, income. Good point. So you've got to have, you know, more legs that support you. And that's what we encourage to have provided. So the fractional CMOs that come and get trained by us um, are doing that. And there's right. different ways that they can sell into those different services that we encourage them to do. And that way they're like, they're, they're protected financially, you know? Right. I mean, they might have like a really great month because they might close some extra business, but generally they just kind of tick along plus or minus uh, with a really great income for them. It makes sense. So not all your eggs are in one basket, but kind of by doing this, you're, you are, instead of having a bunch of little tiny marketing clients, you've got some big ones where you're, the, you're their fractional CMO, but you should have a couple so that you're able to support yourself. Yeah. And also if you think like, you worked with them for six months, 12 months, whatever. And then you drop down a level and then you're just locked in with them for life. That's the goal. Yeah. Cause you're always growing and improving because you're going out to these other companies and giving them more of your time. You're yeah. getting better, better systems. And they just come in with that same system that you just deployed for a totally different company. And you're like, Hey guys, I know the next marketing campaign we're going to run. It's this thing. Yeah. And it's not like you're just staring at the same problem every day, which I've done in a marketing agency. And I just felt exhausted like, I just can't see a way to solve the problem. So in this way, you're actually solving different problems for different people. And then that creativity, then you're just applying that solution from another company to, to you know, right. one of your long-term clients. Right. Huh. And you've got the systems already built for it, right? Because you built the SOP for it for that client. You know, other people are already running it. You're like, you're very confident in it. And the work is very low. So you don't need to have, um, you don't need to be compensated highly like you get compensated well but it's not like the same hourly rate as is your full tilt service yeah just because you're not putting the same hours you're just kind of right. copying and pasting but wow. it's supportive it's not like you're cheating you're, you're giving them exactly what they need oh, yeah it just it's, take a it's lot of helping time. it's making a difference so who cares um as long as it's making an impact uh how qualified do you have to be because a lot of people are like okay don't put in 17 years but i mean yeah, right do i need 16 like what's the well, we've been interviewing folks uh to train them to become fractional cmos um, it's, it's just been, it's been interesting. So we've got people that have been in marketing for years, but they've been in corporate marketing where they haven't really done much, right? They're just like glad handed. They just like shaken hands and like delivered proposals, but they haven't actually done anything. Yeah. So I actually like the lower level marketer who has more hands on approach. Yeah. I like that marketer who's just like, a Jack or Jill of all trades and they kind of know ads and they know SEO and they know content writing and um, they know email marketing and they get how to update a pixel on a website. Like I want that person yeah. because they're typically really well experienced. That said, um, it's possible to be a fractional CMO 
in an organization that likes a more bureaucratic, slow, less tactical approach. So it's not to like scare those people off that they can't be a fractional CMO, just their clients have to be the type of clients that they, that they know. Got it. So really either or yeah, these different kinds, but, but your background then reflects on the kind of organization that probably needs you the most. Well, I would say yes. Uh, and um, a modifier to that is that sure. you want to be able to produce results. Yes. You know, like think of Have a tech. To. Sometimes I get like a little jealous of like people who, who are developers. I've got a good friend, uh, Bill, who is <clears throat> like the CTO of Whole30. Oh. And um, he, his team builds stuff and mm. it's delivered, right? Like that's really cool. Like here's the thing you wanted and we built it and here it is. And now it's live and it's successful. Like, yeah. hey, we did our job, right? And success for them is like uptime. It's like hitting the proposal correctly. In marketing, it's a little harder to do that. So to mm-hmm. be able to like identify a lever that you can pull that delivers value that's greater than your fees at a minimum is critical. Right. And I think it's like you said, don't ever work with a marketing agency that asks you to rebrand immediately. You know, any fractional CMO could say, yeah, you need a new rebranding. But what you really should do is you should look at the assets that they have and do a low hanging fruit campaign. We've got a list of these, like seven campaigns for fast cash. And just like deploy those in a company and go make some money for them. Jeez. And they're going to love you. Go pay for yourself for the next six months. And then, you know, then you could say, okay, your branding really sucks. Let's improve your branding. Right. But you got to get those quick wins in to build you some credit, some street cred. So you, the organization's going to listen to you. Yes. Spend and money on the rebrand. You need to produce profit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. At the end of the day, like your job as a fractional CMO or as a marketer in general is to serve the entrepreneur. Right. Right. It's like, it's not to serve the manager. It's not to serve HR. It's to serve the entrepreneur. What does the entrepreneur want out of this? Figure that out at the start of your relationship and then deliver that. And you become um, irreplaceable. Yeah. I mean, it's not rocket science. Figure out what they want and then deliver it. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Wow. Imagine that. And then ask for the, Ask for the budget that you need to make that happen. Right. I think that there's a lot of, um, I don't know, fear around that, asking for a budget. Yeah, what if you've never done a budget before, though? Well, I mean, how transformative is your, is your CMO school? Like, can you, can you yeah. come in like at Cinderella and then you're like the fairy godmother of uh, CMOs or what, what's up? How, We've got a process much- for like requesting a, a budget, but it takes into account like what they've got and what they're doing that's unique. And some things are unique and different. So we call it the CMO accelerator. But in the program, um, people ask questions in a forum. So we do oh, like cool. a public forum that's like for just all the members, which uh, is private. And then, um, and then also like private messaging. And then we do live calls and stuff like that so they can answer the questions live. But sure. it's about figuring out the outcome and then figuring out what the spend is previously. And if there's not been a spend, then to ask for a spend. You know, one of the things that really grinds my gears is when a company says, all right, we're going to hire this marketing this Facebook ads expert and yep. they're 2,500 bucks a month to manage our ads. Yep. 500 bucks a month on ads. Mm-hmm. They're going to spend five times more on the management than on the actual ad. Right. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Like that, you got to get out. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't. Yeah. I think no ROI is not calculated on the 500. It's calculated on the three grand total of everything that you're spending. Yeah. And like, I think a great Facebook campaign goes, a. Uh, you know, if you can do a one to four, 
I mean, you can get better than a one to four, but like for every dollar you spend, if you make $4 on Facebook, like that's pretty good. Yeah. So you're asking me to make a one to five out the gate to break even? It's like, <laughs> that's impossible. Right. So you got to be able to play with bigger numbers and bigger companies, you know, yeah. there's, there's some interesting rules here. It's like, how, what kind of companies do you want to work for? Working for like a million dollar year company, if you're maybe like an agency marketer, that might sound like a big company, but that million dollar company might only have a hundred thousand dollars in profit a year, including yeah. if that. paying their executive. If that, yeah. If that. So any fee that you charge is probably going to take money out of their kid's mouth. Yeah. And, and that might even be too small, those kind of companies, but these are all going to be great experiences and the smaller the company, the more likely they're maybe willing to just, cause they're like, Hmm, can we get value out of this person at kind of a discount? You know, yeah, so right. everyone's kind of playing that game to figure out. But then if you can acquire those experiences, you mentioned earlier, like the, the devs that jump every six months can do that as long as their code is solid. Um, right. But you know, for marketing, if, if you're resident, I mean, you do it a couple of times is one thing. I mean, I, I would move maybe after a year and a half or so um, until I found something that was great. And then I just stayed. Um, yeah. But well, good. that can hurt you. If I see someone with like four months, three months, six months, unless it says marketing consultant or unless it says CM fractional CMO, I'm like, what really? Three, three months is enough for them to get to know you. Then you, then you left. <laughs> what happened here? I heard once that it takes six months to be able to be competent in a role. Wow. Like as a, as an employee to be hired, it takes you six months to really understand everything that you're needed to do. And then you can really be effective. Now I hope that it's a lot shorter than that. Anytime I hire someone. Right. And it is, if you provide SOPs and like a formulated yeah. process for them to follow and like totally. you check them weekly and you set outcome goals for them, but six months, man, you know, you got to stick around for a company. So you stick around for a year or two and then you can hop and that's how you can like build your, um, like your resume without it looking flighty. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to look flighty. So, okay. So you, you got a school. So tell me a little bit about the school. Sure. So the, so as, as I got into companies acting as the fractional CMO, I, I, I identified that like systems are what's needed. Yeah. You know, I'm the kind of person who likes to hop on a call. I like a sales call. You know, I find that stuff really fun, but when I get on a client call and there's a bunch of stuff I said I was going to do, if I didn't do it, like, that's bad. And I feel bad. So I had to create systems and processes to ensure that I did the right thing. I did it effectively. And the time that I spent on it was the most effective time. You know, I wanted to fill my time as much as possible. Yeah. Um, just like maximizing as a fraction CMO, make as much money as I can and help as many people as I can. And that's what we did. So to do that, uh, my assistant helped me build systems in the business. And those systems, we invested a lot of time on to templatize them for kind of a general client. Hmm. And now we have a toolbox. So when we go work with a client, we open the toolbox and it just is sitting there. So we say, okay, cool. Uh, it looks like you need this. Great. Let's grab this tool. Cool. And now 80, 90% of the work's done. We did the work already. You know, it just has like a, a leverage. So the CMO accelerator is a process to understand like um, how to get your own social proof, how to write a um, proposal, how to have a sales call to sell yourself, um, uh, and then what the actual service is, and including a full, it's a seven-module training on exactly what we do inside a business as, as a fractional CMO with all of the tools. 
Plus on top of that, there's a uh, twice monthly live call plus unlimited ability to chat and an online forum to ask questions about your specific client and where you're stuck. And we're finding that our CMOs are like doing well as a result, you know, they're yeah. working with great companies. They're prospecting hard. Um, and like when you look at what's happening in COVID, so we're recording this in September, September 4th. Right. Um, people are out of, out of work right now. Marketers sure. are out of work right now, you know, and their problem is that they're just going to drop down the thing that they said they're going to do. I'll do more stuff for less money. And at some point they're going to be the same value as like someone in South America or Philippines. That's like a low hourly rate. You know, what mm -hmm. you got to do is you got to go the opposite way. You got to be like that salmon that swims against the stream and say, I'm going to not go downstream to get as much work as I can, even at a lower price because I need to make a living. I want to go upstream and become authoritative in the role and be able to support people. And I know that this role is growing because it only makes logical sense that it would grow. So I'm going to right. bet that. And if for some reason I don't like it in a year, okay, maybe you're working 40 hours a week with a client right now, but you can go pick up another one at 10 hours a week. 50 hours a week is a lot of, lot of time to spend working, but also you might be able to double your income or at least increase it by 50% with that extra 10 hours a week. And then that might buy you some flexibility. It might buy you some confidence. Uh, I know for me, if, if I was in a position of working at an agency and I saw the agency work dry up, yeah, I was worried about a layoff. Last thing I would do is go look for that same work somewhere else. I mean, it's drying up for a reason. So you got to go move up a level instead of moving down a level. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a good reminder that people got to do this. And it sounds approachable too. I don't want to turn this whole thing to like a, a sale for your thing, but I, but I am interested in it. It does sound like a, you know, any way you do it, you got to do some professional development, you know, and, totally. and it's not necessarily, you know, getting your MBA. What's your, what's your take? I know, I know you did, you did advanced yeah. school. I was, was going to get an MBA. What's that? All right. So, so, so real talk. So I moved to <laughs> real New talk Orleans. with Casey and Casey. <laughs> I went to, I moved to New Orleans years ago. When was it like 20, 2012, maybe um, just moved with a buddy of mine. And, you know, we got like a bachelor pad and just like live that amazing New Orleans life. And I love that city to death. Yeah. And I was working for this agency and I was like, man, I know what I'm doing, but like, what's the next level? You know, I'm just kind of hungry. So yeah. I looked at the best schools in the area and Tulane was a great school. So I looked at their MBA program and I requested the syllabus for like a class or two. And it was just awful. Really? That was just like eight years ago. So maybe things have changed, but nothing about digital marketing existed. Zero. It was like product placement in businesses, but like nothing about an opt-in page, nothing about Google ads. So I was really... I don't know, disenchanted. Yeah. And I offered to do a guest teach for a day. Uh, they asked for my transcripts. I said, I don't want to give them to you. So I just didn't respond to the email. A year later, they said, hey, we'd like you to come in. And I was like, okay, but I have crappy transcripts. I was not a good student. I have a 2.5 GPA from Michigan State in environmental policy. And they're like, mm -hmm. we don't care. Like, we just have to have the paper. No one's going to see it. So I gave <laughs> them the paperwork. Yeah. I went in, I guess taught. Long story short, they offered me a job and I became a adjunct professor of marketing and I served for three years. Huh. Because my experience online was better than the experience that the professors had on online marketing at the time. Of course. 
light years. It changed, but I was the expert in the field, right? I mean, that's a true adjunct, right? They're an expert outside and they come in and lecture. So that was really fun. So coming out to Philadelphia, I'm looking, do I want to go get an MBA? I'm like next to Wharton. You know, Wharton is like, I could take the train to Wharton uh, and like I could get maybe a world-class MBA. I don't see the benefit of it, especially an MBA that's distant. I think right now what's going on with universities hosting in person only to knowingly have to go to online because of COVID infections is mm-hmm. just a ploy to, uh, maybe this is not PC, but like, I feel like the universities are just like trying to justify their full tuition, you know, and they're struggling because they're not going to have their collegiate football, which is such a huge, you know, profit driver for the school. I think that's all garbage and bullshit and it's all going to burn down and I'm okay with it. <laughs> it's, def- it's definitely things, things are changing. Right. And, but yeah, the, the, was it Naval? You know, we talked about this last time. There's the idea of like colleges have to convince everyone that it's just as valuable to go virtual. And then as COVID clears up, no, no, don't worry, JK. It's actually way more valuable to go in person. But either way, it's all going to cost the same. You're like, no, that's not how it works. You know, like consumers know that if it's one versus another, one's cheaper. You can't, you can't do that. I think we're going to see institutions start to really struggle. And the education is going to come to um, smaller schools. And I think like in this situation, I'm not, I'm not unique, right? But I think the CMO Accelerator is a unique kind of approach to this. But you can go find this for Google Ads. You know, people for years have been selling info products on Google Ads, which is like a PhD in Google Ads. You mm-hmm. can go get that with Perry Marshall. That was the first marketing course I ever got, which was the definitive guide to Google AdWords. Sure. And, like Perry's been teaching that for years and he is like the, the, the educator he's grown and he's got a, you know, more marketing stuff now in planet Perry. But yeah, that, that idea I think is really nascent and it's just only going to grow. I also think, um, yeah, I mean, you asked like, what do I think about MBAs? I, th- I don't think that they're worth it. Uh, mm-hmm. I was looking at actually going to school for, for something totally unrelated um, art school, you know, oh, yeah. just like, why not? Right. Just, right. just decided to play with it and, you know, it's been a couple of weeks doing research. So with this art school idea, uh, and maybe this will change, but yeah. right now it just doesn't make sense for me to apply and, and go through it. So what I did was I found someone that I really liked their work and I proposed that they mentor me and it's a paid mentorship. Hmm. And I proposed a really nice structure and they agreed to it and we're getting started. And it's not oh. the same as art school. It is not the same, but it's very inexpensive and it'll give me a really great opportunity to see if it's something I'm even interested in, you know? Right. So I think we can get creative and we can go to our experts and say, teach me how, you know, with this art school person, I said hundred dollars a month for one hour of your time. And if I don't show up, you still get paid six month commitment. So I'm asking for, I'm giving them 600 bucks over the course of six months. I think it's going to be really worth it for me. You know? Wait, wait, how much for each call? $100 $100 an hour, one hour a month, six months. Wow. Great. Yeah. And like in their profession, you know, they get paid more than that an hour, but they have to travel and they have to do other stuff. And but in art? Like, hmm? like an artist or you mean like an yeah, educated yeah, artist? Yeah, an artist. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. If they're Thomas maybe. Kincaid, maybe. Otherwise, there's a thing called starving artist for a reason. Yeah, right. So That's I just tapped into top talent from the university that I would want to go to. Yeah. And I get to spend time with her. And it's like really thrilling and I'm excited about it. And 
I feel like it'll be a good value. So I think that that approach to um, education is, is where we're moving to. Yeah. We're moving, you know, like we're moving to more digital courses and I think digital courses can suck, but I think they can also be great. I got a buddy who's in Hawaii and he's, um, he just enrolled in law school. Okay. And his law school is digital. Uh, except for like w- once a semester, there's an in-person. Okay. And it's in New York. So he has to fly to New York like twice a year and just meet everybody and hang out. And like, that's probably good enough. You know, if you do it right and you plan like a good like rager where everyone like has a couple beers and hangs out and you guys do some stupid shit together, like mm-hmm. you're probably going to have a pretty good experience there. And it's as good as maybe doing it face-to-face every day. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just doing it face-to-face on Zoom from Hawaii and you know, I, I think that that stuff's going to work, but I think that the yeah. costs have to be in relation to that. We can't have full price uh, Harvard that's 100% digital, you know? It feels, right. feels silly. It feels weird. And because I think ha- half of some of those schools, you know, the name doesn't really matter anymore for most positions. It matters for maybe uh, management consulting, it matters for medical, it matters for science. Yep. But even then, um, for sure. in different ways, right? So it's like, I once got this advice. Like if you're going for that kind of a position, then yes, the school you go to, Oh, I went to Yale. Great. We all went to Yale too. Now we're all in the same company, but it, like, I, I never cared when I'm hiring you know, people, my team, or like certainly no one cared that I went to Riviera college, whatever, which is now apparently Riviera university, terrible school. Hey, Hey Riv, what's <laughs> up? Um, it was okay. No, I, I jest. It was okay. But um, yeah, like, no, it doesn't matter anymore. And so, I, I could see there might be a higher quality of education, but let's find the places that are actually better. And then let's do them. Let's, let's do those. You know what I found? Coaching. Coaching has been a, a way that I've done education for a long time. I You've just been recently, coached? What's that? You've been coached? Yeah. But oh, like cool. different, different specific types of coaches. Like I've had a CEO coach. I've had a, um, I haven't had a marketing coach, but I think this kind of ties into this conversation. Like this program becomes like that education. Uh, but I, I've had like fitness coaches. I've had like um, nutrition. Uh, I, I hired a tri coach when I wanted to learn to do triathlons, you know, like you, you yeah. have to, right? And then I recently hired a, a mountain climbing coach. No way. It's all about mountain climbing fitness. And it's completely different than triathlon fitness. It's, it's, and it's all about getting up tall mountains. And they use the Amazing. same kind of techniques as like the triathlon coaches, but it's, it's a different outcome. But yeah. I love it. I love that kind of getting expertise from people that matter in those certain ways. And they have programs and it's much more affordable than you know, any kind of other program. But the first person who climbed Mount Everest didn't have a coach. True. So the reason that you're doing it is why? So that you can do other stuff in your life and have leverage? Um, you know, I think it, it, I think why we learn anything is that you can accelerate things because you, you, reduce the amount of trial by trial and error you know like okay yeah sir edmund hillary and other people like they they climbed mountains and they failed for years and they did these other kind of things so it's like okay let's learn from them and maybe i'll I'll have failures too but maybe not as many and maybe not for the same reasons as these people you know same thing with the triathlons you know i could just show up (laughs) and that would be fine um but i was like i want to i want to know what's going on and i it it feels better having having a yoda telling you what you can expect 
you know, and then you can really focus on the thing and not what is it going to be like and all these, nope, this is what it's going to be like. This is what you got to do with your stuff. Here's some tips. You got to prep this stuff. Apparently, racers are won and lost in transition. They're won and lost. Oh, interesting. In the time in between your swim and your bike, between your bike and your run. Because uh. apparently, not, not for me, I'm pretty fast, but like, um, because a lot of the athletes are just so good that you know, you're not going to make up 30, 30 seconds on your run versus someone else. Like, it, it's, it's very hard. But sure. if you take that much longer to put your shoes on, or to get in your bike and to get your gear sense. on. If you haven't laid it out nicely, I've done both. I've laid it out nicely and I've not. And you're like you're digging through your bag for your your sunglasses. You got to lay it all out ahead of time. You get your towel, you get your socks, you, or get your shoes, whatever you got. You know, and if you if you've done that, you're out. And I've seen a lot of people wandering around transition in, in those those in that gated off area in a daze, probably because they're exhausted like I am, but. They, they maybe they don't know that the time counts against you. And you, so right. it was helpful having a coach saying, by the way, don't slack off just because you're in between those two events. Totally. Yeah. I, I think a coach is incredibly helpful. I started getting coached um, with strategic coach, Dan Sullivan. I think his work is incredible. See, I don't know if we talked about that. I didn't re- maybe I did realize this, but yeah, I do. I've done that too. You did? I've got right here. I'm re-reviewing how the best get better one and two. I've got both books nice. right here. Um, his approach is like, I, I love the simplicity of it and it's forever. Yeah. You know, one of the things I learned from, uh, Farnham street, I don't know if any of the readers know Farnham street, uh, blog. It's great. Farnham street is the street that, um, Berkshire Hathaway's headquarters is on. I think that's where it gets its name. So it's about like Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett's investment strategies. Okay. And more than that, it's about the mental models. So Shane Parrish, who's got a podcast called The Knowledge Project, which is just like, just meaty. It's so good. He's got this line that says on the website, like, um, like learning the best of things that people have already figured out or something like that. So it's just, it's learning like the shortcuts in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mental models and the approach to it. And actually these red books here are his uh, mental models. Oh, back there. Nice. Yeah. But um, he's got this... Uh, this thing that I learned from him, which was um, master the things that are slow to change. Hmm. That's it. And it, it, I picked up on it maybe like a year ago or two years ago, and it's just been really hard for me to shake. It's just so perfect. So what's fast to change? Google search algorithm. That's fast <laughs> to change. Right? Yeah. Like, by the way, if you're a marketer and you don't know that come 2021, Google's making a massive update. You don't know how to check a website speed on Lighthouse. Like go learn how to do that because right. Google's going to start significantly penalizing companies. So like you can go be an expert in that. Cool, man. And I hope people are experts in that because I never want to be. Yeah. That person has to be up on all the search engine news sites. Yep. They have to be testing. They have to be working with enough clients to really understand what's going on. I mean, it's very complex and plenty of respect for those people. I don't want to be that person because that's like, if you get sick for a month, you're, yeah. you like lose your place, right? Yeah. Like you lose yeah. your education. So what's slow to change? Slow to change is the fundamentals in business. Yeah. Like if you want to be in email marketing, ugh, I think email marketing is great because email is like slow to change. Yeah. There are principles that will always last. A good subject line, a good body copy, good deliverability, good open rate, good click-through rate. Like, 
low spam rate. These things are very simple and you can monitor them over time. It's not like an algorithm is going to screw you up. Mm -hmm. I think Amazon listings, fast to change. You can make a lot of money on Amazon in a short amount of time and then it can be gone the next day. Plenty of stories. I'm sure you've heard of people who have like struck it rich in one trick online only to see it all go away. Oh yeah. yeah. So master slow to change. I think slow to change like you know, the, the CMO accelerator is based on slow to change, you know, methodology, but also just slow to change in your life. Just consider that what slow to change is like weight bearing exercise. You know, yeah. there's going to be some new 60 minute, like cute outfit workout facility that pops up in your community. Spanga. <laughs> Spanga. Is that a name? You heard of Spanga? No, never. Yeah. I'll tell you about it. Keep going. Okay. Um, so these things like pop up, that's fast to change. What's slow yeah. to change is like, what kind of load can your body be under and how do you track that over time? Yeah. And you want to get stronger over time and you want to be consistent. Yeah. It's like, if you want to go do a spinning class because you like the music, um, cool. Right. But like, that's more the, the sprinkles on like the main you know, thing, which is the core. Yeah. yeah. The core of it is like, what is the fitness? So what is, what is the slow to change stuff in your business? And just consider in your life, what are you focusing on fast to change or slow to change? Yeah. I, for years I was in, you know, I'm into photography and I chased that digital gear dragon. It's like a heroin <laughs> at addiction, man. It's like you sure. can't get enough of the latest. And once you finally buy the thing after years or months of research, you know, the next September they announce the upgrade and the upgrade just beats the pants off what you have. And now right. your device is worth nothing, right? That is fast to change. Analog photography, slow to change. So I picked up a, I've got a Hasselblad 500 CM. It's from 1988. It's the camera huh. that they took to the moon, right? Really? Slow to change, dude. Slow to change. That camera's never going to be out of style. It's never really? going to stop working as long as yes. the technicians are alive. Oh, a friend of mine actually has the watch they wore. The, the Omega movie. Speedmaster? What? Yeah. Oh, so you yeah. already know it. Do you have that yeah. too? Uh, no, I, I don't. You're practically uh, Neil Armstrong if you get the watch and you have the camera. That's what you need, yeah. Right. And the, but the, the watch had the a Velcro band on it, which, you know, that's like the true way to wear it because it had to go around your huge, uh, huge arm. Yeah. Yeah. So like for me, I felt like a lot of relaxed pressure mm -hmm. in my hobby of photography when I said, you know what, I'm just going to buy a couple really nice film cameras. They're going to last forever. I'll buy them in good shape. You know, I'll make sure that I clean them regularly, but that's way better than just buying the latest and greatest digital camera. Right. What's fast to change and slow to change in your life? Focus on the slow to change stuff and stay in that lane. And I swear you'll have less uh, like anxiety around mm -hmm. the future. You know, when what we think about exponential about the growth. change stuff though. Say again? What do you do about the fast to change stuff so that it doesn't You find the experts in it and you hire them. Okay. You, you appreciate them. You appreciate yeah, the you experts. You that... water them. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. And... <laughs> Okay, there's, there's one thing here. This is, this is like totally not PC, but I think it's really important um, to know. Have you heard of this website, OnlyFans? OnlyFans, nope. Uh, no, I don't think so. But it's like blowing up right now. Here's what it is. It's a small dollar a month membership fee. And some of these stars on there, which are just amateurs, are making $100,000 a month from it because they're charging $3 a month, $5 a month. So these websites are blowing up as a result. Like this website specifically is blowing up. They're taking the world by storm. 
I think we're going to see a huge shift online in, in, in people who subscribe to it. And um, why I mentioned that is not because I'm like a connoisseur of pornography, but because like pornography leads the industries. When something happens in porn, it trickles down to the rest of the world. So is, so this, is, this, is this site porn then or no? It's, but it inspired this idea. No, I think it is. I haven't actually been to the site, but I think <laughs> I think they're like individual people sign up to have like their own campsite, and they it's I'm like Patreon. Now, they're all wearing clothes, but um, I guess they could change. Could change. So the idea here is like for a couple bucks a month, you get access to content. It's Patreon, Patreon. Right? but it's Patreon with like kind of some leverage, maybe. I think that this model is interesting, and we're going to see a lot more business going this way. You know, we're going to, we're going to see um, Amazon Prime. I heard that was like over 50% of U.S. households are paying for Amazon Prime. How many? 50%? Over 50% of U.S. households. Yeah. I think it's that big. I mean, it's enormous. That's a lot. And you know what I was thinking the other day, too? I saw an Upstruck UPS. 62%. Sorry, 62%. Really? Yeah, the latest consumer intelligence research partners estimates Amazon's U.S. Prime membership uh, at 101 million. That is 62% of U.S. households are Prime members. That's a, as of January of 2019. Okay, 100, 100 million, what, um, members? Yeah. 100. At what, 79 bucks a year? No, I'm trying to We're do the math. Yeah, what is it? Like 80 or $8 billion in just times, membership fees. Times what? How much is it a year? Like 79 uh, yeah, I think it's 79 bucks a year. It used to be like 15 bucks a month or something. I don't know. So maybe I'll, I'll put like uh, 130. 119. It's 119. 119. Wow. Update the calculator. Holy so, so we're talking a about... Of, a lot of zeros on this. Three. Three. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's 11 billion. It's like 12 11, billion, right? 11.9 billion. So I was thinking about this, right? I was thinking about this because I saw this Upstruck go by and I thought, oh, that's cute. I haven't seen you in a while. But what I have seen is Amazon Prime. You just call a UPS truck an Upstruck? An Upstruck. Up? Ups? UPS. I've never heard that before. Ups. Hey, it's Ups. No? You know that? No. UPS. Just UPS. No. Okay, cool. Go ahead. FedEx. Sorry. Ups. Yeah. Well, I saw oh. it. It was brown. I'm like, oh, I remember those guys. But I've seen so many more Amazon Prime trucks. And at the oh. beginning, I think... I heard some stat where everyone was trying to tell Bezos he was an idiot for doing Prime. They're like, "No, it'll it'll never make money. Like we, it'll cost us so many, so much dollars." And for right. some reason, he still did it. And now, what is by by proxy? Now you can run your own FedEx on twelve billion. What did we say? Twelve? Twelve point nine? Yeah, twelve billion. Yeah, yeah totally. Eleven point nine. Twelve billion dollars. You could run your own FedEx, and they and they are right. They don't. They don't. They don't need the brown trucks and the FedEx trucks and all these other trucks anymore. They don't need the post office anymore to deliver this stuff. And it's like, interesting. They're getting stuff to us in two days. <laughs> right. And it's free somehow. Oh no, we're paying for it, but we don't even care because it's aggregated. But then I thought about all the troubles we've had with the post office and all those conversations. Well, clearly we've got something going on here for $12 billion. <laughs> Looking at yeah. FedEx, their operating income was, yeah. or their revenues, right? Their revenue was 70 billion last year. 70 so 12 billion. 12 billion is huge. 12 billion is like a fleet, right? Okay. So 
so those guys are 70 and then these guys are like 12. So it's a, it's a fraction of it, but maybe it's just cause it's focused in the U S or something, but I don't know. I see them. The, the prime trucks are everywhere now. They're like all over the place. Yeah. Go out in DHL. DHL's at 14 billion euro as of 2016. So they're like competing right there with DHL just from that base membership. Oh, they're 14? Wow. Yeah, 16. 16. Or 14, sorry. Yeah, 14. Well, you're right. They're basically, you know what? It, all they have to do is you bring your package that you want to send to Whole Foods and it will go to where it needs to go. It's nuts. And what if they did that for free, right? Yeah, right. And they could maybe because they're already moving robots. stuff. Man, we should have another conversation about how we should tax anyone who innovates that replaces jobs with robots. We're going to lose all these tax revenues. I think we're in for a very difficult future if we don't tax innovators who like get rid of all the truck drivers, all the truck drivers that pay taxes. That's the number one employer in almost all states across the U.S. is truck driving. Hmm. Loses all of our truck drivers to um, robots which will happen in 10 years, right? Won't happen tomorrow, but it'll happen soon. We're going to lose all that tax revenue. Well, I think we're in for a world of hurt. Maybe 20. Maybe 20. Okay, I'll give you 20. But still, yeah. in 20 years, we'll lose tax revenue of all of our truck drivers. You know what I see with that? I Like, because um, I, I was, um, Tesla, right? They're actually a software company. If you think about right. it. All the, all the data points they're getting, I think it was, it was Joe Rogan's interview with, Elon Musk the second time when they weren't smoking weed. And it was, it was like Elon can tell by looking at a car and how it drives, which version of the AI it has in it. Oh, wow. And, and, he, and he's like, have you ever seen um, an AI car drive next to a regular car? You can tell because it's not like we're kind of sloppy. We're like, we're in the lane, but we're kind of like moving back and forth in the lane. No, no, no. AI car, boop, right down the middle. No deviation. It knows where the middle is. Oh. It stays in the middle, right? And so- cool. I, I bet you eventually, just like how we had the thing with masks, eventually I'll be a, I'll be a older, older guy here and I'll be like, it's okay. I'm living on a beach, whatever. But there will be a thing where some, at some point in the future where we will publicly shame people for still driving. Like you still drive. Oh, Did you realize what you kid is never going to drive? You put your family. Uh, he will. I think he will. But like, it's like you put, your family at risk? Do you realize how much safer it is having Tesla drive for you? Like it no, right now it, it is safer, but like, it's like a, it's like several percentages, but when it's like a thousand percent safer, what do you, and then the question is, are you the asshole that wants to drive and then injure everyone, you know, potentially yeah, right. it's like, Ooh, what do we do with that? But I, I'm, I, I know it's coming, but your original point about the truck driving that eventually comes to um, maybe in tandem. I don't know if it leads it. I don't know if we'd be, I think we might be more scared if we had automated trucks driving around, if we were still manually driving. So maybe they have to come together, you know, but yeah, but long haul trucks there. though, man, that are just like on the highway, you know, just like, just, they're just taking highway 10 from like Florida to yeah. California. And yeah. it's just like a straight shot. Ah, and it's cost 30 grand to outfit a truck with a self driver right now. 30 grand. I mean, Oh, I see. It's cheap. That, less than you yeah. pay a truck driver. Yeah, because you can drive that many years as opposed to one person you're paying them every year. Right. But, you know, I have heard the argument, though, that of like some people are scared of this. Some people are saying, well, you know what? We've always had this happen. And it just freed us up to do more creative things, you know? Yeah. So you have to invest in your creativity. I mean, yeah. I think that that is uh, – Peter Diamandis, I think, is the leader on this conversation. Yeah. 
and uh, Peter's got some really great stuff. He's got a like a membership group called Abundance 360. Did you <clears throat> did you go to that event? I've been to A360 a couple times. Yeah, you have. Did you did you do the virtual one this year? Or? No, I didn't. No, nope. oh, I joined the, the yeah. digital group this year. But oh, did you? Okay, Strategic Coach gives you access to the 360. So I saw it yeah. this past year. So yeah, so you know. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. So uh, with with what he's talking about. Um, I remember him sharing maybe like three years ago, saying something like someone asked, what do you encourage your kids to do? And he said something along the lines of like, learn to learn, learn to program and also like have a creative outlet. Mm. Like when we have all this time in the world, what are we going to do with it? You should do something creative. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in that creativity. That's the thing that's hard for computers to replace is the creativity is the thinking. So as we get bigger and better factories and automations and driving and, that there's there's more and more time for us to do the creative things and, and appreciate the creative things even that much more, you know? So I don't know, I, positive, somewhat positive outlook on that. But my other question though is like, what's the deal with the aliens? What's the deal with like the government saying they have like spacecraft now? Dude. Is that real? Yeah, is it real? Is that like a political Maybe. thing? Is that like a, okay, let's distract you over here. No, over here. It would be such... Are you an alien? Is that I don't that, want to get political, but like we're in a run up to an election, and if Trump really wants to win everybody, he's gonna like legalize marijuana, and he's going to tell us about the aliens, and then like <laughs> it'll be utter chaos. No one will know what to do. Yeah, and, it's like pulling that ace out of a hat. Like, oh yeah, they the uh, the Joint Chiefs briefed me on this when I first joined the the right? Oval Office. Right? Right? Yeah. They're like, you it's really shouldn't tell anyone about it. And he's like, I'm the president. I can do that. Right. And if anyone would tell us. So my thought is like, because of like how whatever vocal he is. Sure. Um, if he, if he hasn't told us. It doesn't exist. Like, <laughs> that's my thought. Cause I think he would love to, to share some information there. And he would share on Twitter too. He for sure. Totally would would. He's like, check, check out this photo. He's like peace signing next to a spacecraft, right? Right. A dead alien embalmed. Right. Yeah. He's like, look at this. I don't know. Yeah. So what do you think? Is that real? Man. Wow. That's like, that's its own conversation. And then how much, how much, how important is marketing if there's aliens? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think fear-based marketing. Um, I think the prepper community would really rise. Right. You know, if, yeah. It's surprising the prepper community is so strong right now, knowing how well they did with Obama because, you know, like the whole, like they could, they could make the play, like Obama's going to take your guns. So then right. the prepper community sold a bunch of like MREs and you know, <laughs> all the stuff that you need. But now we get a conservative guy in, but I think these prepper communities are doing very well right now, especially during COVID. Yeah. So, COVID if you're going to go into like one market, get in into preppers, I think. And then you can sell gold as an upsell. <laughs> you can, you sell like a fake Trump coin. Oh right? yeah. Gold, You've seen those, gold like the fake silver minted Trump coins for like $70 limited edition collectors. No, I, whatever channels I, yeah, whatever channels they, I used to see those ads though. The silver Eagle space shuttle coin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hand painted. And hand painted with silver. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Well, that's, that's cool, man. Well, Hey, we're coming up to the top of the time here. So why don't you throw out some links? The, uh, the CMO, mm. X, uh, what's a site? Where do people go if they want to investigate that? Because I think it's definitely worth people investigating. 
Yeah, cool. So um, you can go to the website, cmox.co, and then there's a careers link. Okay. So just click on the careers if you guys are interested. If you're hearing this and you're like, you know what, Casey? Yeah, I'm interested in, uh, in, in learning more about becoming a fractional CMO. Go there. Um, I've got a little video presentation that kind of lays out uh, some stuff that we talked about here and then some additional stuff uh, kind of on what we're looking for. So we're looking for some marketers that we can train um, for, and to support them and, and grow them to be fractional CMOs. So that's cmox.co. And then click on the careers tab on the menu. Uh, yeah, I mean, other stuff that I think people should be aware of. I think that Peter D. Mandis's six D's of exponential growth. Mm. Google that. That's a good one to know. Um, that's about what's going to happen in the future. Six D's. Then, like, go find a creative outlet. You know, yeah. like, what, what does that mean? I think it means, like, go identify creative things that you've, wanted to do before if you want to get a drawing go find like the number one rated book on amazon for how to draw go get it and just like on calls or whatever just like just doodle a little bit just yeah. start like stoking that creative fire i think it's so important because there's going to be a time where you'll have more time for that and you don't want to be just starting fresh start fresh right now yeah yeah, yeah agreed that's the way to do yeah. it go Boom. climb a mountain i don't know climb a mountain man go hire drop. a coach hire a coach hire a mountain coach <laughs> i think it's a good idea that's a cool idea yeah, man. Totally. Totally. Well, dude, it's, it's a blast. Got to have to have you come back here on here regularly. We'll keep tabs on how, how old your baby is each time Cool. Uh, yeah. for those listening. If you learned something and I know I did, cause I got two pages of notes over here, then uh, share this with someone, be a thought leader, tag someone. LinkedIn's great for that. Tag myself, tag the other Casey, tag, tag the Casey's and then the Casey shall appear on your comments and comment as well. It'll be fun. Yeah, thought leadership right there. Hey man. Fun times. Thanks again for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. For those listening, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.